I have to admit to myself that I'm really a cloud-based brokerage. You know, we don't have all the buildings that's needed. And quite honestly, I don't know if we want that. So I have to then basically sell the value proposition of who I am. I do care. Everyone around you cares. These are the systems that we use. And everyone gets a say in our company. Like, all right, what's a better way of doing it? You know, this isn't from the top down. It's from the bottom up. And so I think that's the direction we want to go. You are listening to the Real Estate Sessions with Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title, Tampa District. The Real Estate Sessions podcast is part of the Industry Syndicate Media Network. For additional real estate podcasts, check out industrysyndicate.com. Now, your host, Bill Rissa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 191 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you even more for telling a friend. It's how we continue to grow. I get to do what I love to do, which is bug people about their past and find out more about their business today. And and today, it's no exception. I get to do it with somebody who I've met through Inman. I would say 75 to 80 percent of my guests I've met in person at Inman. So if you're thinking about going to Vegas, you should probably go. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful event. And the connect part is really the, the most important part of it. I'm talking about Ronnie Woodrow, broker owner of Real Estate Real Estate Brokerage in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I've had some great times at Inman with Ronnie. And of course, they were all very educational. Ronnie, welcome to the podcast. Bill, I appreciate it, buddy. I appreciate being on the show. Let's talk about Columbus. So we both have a mutual friend there, Sean Carpenter, right? We do. We um, absolutely. You've known Sean for a long time. I've known Sean for almost 19 years. Wow. So the, almost the entire time he's been in the business, you've been a you've you've known him. Absolutely, yeah. Wow. Are you a native of the Buckeye State, or is, are you uh, are you from the Columbus area? Yeah, actually, I was born and raised uh, actually almost in the center of downtown Columbus. Geographically, there's a neighborhood called German Village. Those that are familiar knows exactly where I'm located. Uh, we're about 10 minutes, 15 minutes south of the Horseshoe. I got to be honest. I've only never been to Columbus. I have driven across Ohio and I, from Pittsburgh to Cleveland. Does that make sense? Yep. I guess. Yep. And I, when I look at Columbus and then I look at the major cities you can get to, like within two or three hours, there are yeah. talk about that, that, that part of the state. Is that kind of cool for you? Or is it just, I grew up this way. It's all normal. Yeah, it, it really is cool. I mean, there, there was an old state slogan there in, in the heart of it all. And, and that the reason being is because it is located. I mean, I'm literally a three hour drive from Indy or three hour drive from Pittsburgh, a two hour to Cleveland, an hour and a half to Cincy. Like uh, I heard a statistic many years ago that we're a 10 hour drive from half of the population of the United States and almost a third of Canada. So we're really it's it's in the heart. I mean, the state even looks like a heart based on the map. Our mutual friend Carpenter. He'll just drive to South Carolina to pick up his daughter or he'll just drive to Nashville for a bar camp. And I'm like, wow, growing up in Phoenix, I grew up in San Diego and moved to Phoenix. Um, that that wasn't the case. You know, you were you had one city within two hours and then you were 10 to the next. No, <laughs> so, no. It's, yeah, it's I, we, cool. we, I was at the uh, bar camp in Nashville this year and it's it's literally a six hour drive. It's just, uh, you know, 71 to uh, one more freeway and you're there. So it's pretty quick. That's great. Hey, give me give me the biggest misconception about Ohio. There's lots of parts of Ohio. It's been the butt of some jokes. Yet, you know, yeah. we know that. But give me the biggest misconception. Well, there many years ago, you know, I've I've heard referenced several times that we're a cow town, cow state. At that, uh, there's a lot of agricultural here. But um, I mean, we're the 14th largest city in the country. Uh, Columbus is. 
uh, in perspective. Uh, we have a lot of tech, a lot of smart. Don't quote me on the year, but I think it was 2016. We were actually voted the smartest city in the country. So we have a lot of stuff going on with the a uh, lot of uh, you know universities. Uh, a lot of corporate headquarters are here. It's a great place to raise a family. I'm sure there's others, but this is the one that I've chose for my family, born and raised, and I kept them here. I know you're a big sports guy. Is it Reds or Indians? Browns or Bengals? What do you do? How do you do? You still miss LeBron? Did you forgive him when he came back? Give me your quick sports rundown. Well, uh, I would say Buckeyes first, through and through. I gravitated to the south side of the state. I went with the Bengals and Reds, and I know everyone here in this probably feels very sorry for me. I'm still a pretty good Reds fan. I, I casually casually follow them. The Bengals, I've actually given up one, and my family has given me a lot of grief over it. I've decided to follow Buckeyes in the NFL, so I'm currently a bandwagoned New Orleans Saints fan. Uh, go Saints. <laughs> uh, you know, one of these days, the Bengals will figure it out. Maybe. It's funny. I, you know, I grew up in San Diego. The, when they were good, that's when they beat the Chargers. So that, yeah. that, yeah, awesome, right? That was 1980, yeah. I think. I don't know if you were even around. But, <laughs> yeah, um, I was. <laughs> all right. All right. LeBron love, right? Still, you have to be you know, you know, thankful for what he did for the state. He got you that championship. It's all good, right? Yeah. You know, I, I, you know I'm glad, LeBron. I mean, you know, I, we were a little questioning why would you go to L.A., but then we think it's L.A. Come on, give me a break. But, you know, I, you know when he went to Miami, I think that broke hearts, and that, that turned a lot of people off. He came back and won it. This second exit, uh, I think a lot of people were okay with it. I wish him well. I mean, he's he's been a, a big proponent of the state. He's done a lot here uh, up in the Akron area and the Cleveland area. Area. So I'm somewhat of a fan. I kind of secretly root against him now, but that's just, you know, here and there uh, kind of going forward. So he went to L.A., but they missed the playoffs. So, uh, yeah. Ouch. so I, I'm sure there was a, a little glint in Ronnie's eye. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. uh, so let me let me ask you this. Very few realtors I talked to knew they're going to be a realtor at an early age. So for you. You know, you're in junior high, high school. Maybe you're thinking about your future. Maybe not, because I don't think I was too hard. Was real estate even on the radar at the time? Are you from a family that was in the business, or were you thinking about something else? No, no, it actually wasn't. Uh, my family was in the contracting business, so we were always around the construction side of it. But it never really was something that I considered. I thought I was going to be that, you know, go to four-year college, get a degree, and and, and go that route. But it, it didn't happen that way. It actually, I stumbled into the industry by accident. I know that happens quite a bit, actually. I bought my first house. I was 22 years old. And uh, I lived uh, in a little neighborhood, little inner city neighborhood where I did at the time, just south of German Village called Marion Village. And uh, I'd purchased the property, my wife and I at the time, and uh, we sold it and made a few dollars. And I thought, I'm a genius. I'm onto something here. Well, you know, little did I know, I was just in an area that was appreciating relatively quickly. I did some flipping of real estate and started helping friends flip some real estate. And I realized it was time to get my license. And that's quite honestly how I stumbled into the industry. What were you doing for a job at that time? Because you had to have a real um, job too, right? I did. I did actually. I worked for at that time the cable company, where the phone company AT and T, and I was installing cable, cable TV in homes, literally from the pole right. to the house. I did that for a few years and, and and did quite well actually. At the age, I was making a good income, and so I, I went both feet in in real estate. Never went part time day one, and uh, very scary the first I'd say twenty four months of the industry for us and as a family. No kidding. You mentioned the family and the contracting side. So I'm guessing you had to help out as you're growing up, you're in high school, you had to be helping out a little bit on that side of things. So you're the, 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 the fix and flip side of things didn't scare you at all. Right. 
No, no, not, not at all. Actually, we, we, we were as a young age, you know, and, you know, you're 14 or 15 trying to help out the family and then got a little older that, you know, we were then, then paid eventually for some of our efforts, but, you know, picking up a paintbrush or grabbing a rake or something along those lines was something we did very early. Do a couple properties. You, you get tired of paying a commission probably when you're selling them. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah. You know, you know, it was a lot of times I even found them, to be honest with you. And I know in this industry, there's a lot to brokering real estate, but, you know, I was finding them and I really didn't have a relationship with one particular company or agent. I was finding them and selling them. And I thought, you know, why not take advantage of what I was already doing and why, why not get paid to do it? What was your first brokerage? Did you go with uh, one of the big brands, you know, to kind of get the education or how'd you end up, you know, yeah. choosing that first company? No, it was actually, it was a very large independent here locally called King Thompson, a very large independent. And uh, I interviewed one brokerage, one manager, the first guy I met, I liked a lot. And uh, I decided to hang my hat on that hook uh, with that company. Uh, About six years in, they were then purchased by uh, Rilogy. And now they're the local Cobble Banker agent office here is what they are now. That's the brokerage that uh, Sean Carpenter works at, right? Correct. Yep. That's where Sean yeah, and I met gotcha. when he was in sales. And then he eventually got into the management side and training side. And him and I became friends pretty early on uh, within that company. So what what year did you start in real estate? Uh, I'm actually about uh, eight days away from my 19 year anniversary. So I started wow. obviously. Yeah. So it'll be 19 years and on the ninth. So whatever that is, seven days, eight days. The market was definitely cooking, you know, from about that time forward, you know, we're moving along. Then we hit the heyday, 2004, five and six, right? Things got really busy. Um, Were you still with King Thompson at this time or when did you, when did you make the change to a different brokerage? Yeah, I was actually with them until probably 2013. I stayed with them about 13 years. Oh, okay. You were there for a while then. So you, so you rode with them through, I just call it the dark days and (laughs) Tell me what the dark days were like in Columbus, because I'm sure they were different than they were where I was in Phoenix. Yeah, no, it was it, it was bad. It was really bad here. I remember, you know, at this point, I'm eight years in the industry, and you know, uh, basically, I, you know, I deal with our database, and you know, I deal with our clients. We quickly learned that we needed to negotiate, learn how to negotiate the short sell, and learn all the acronyms to the REO versions of our industry. So we had to really quickly had to figure out how to negotiate short sales and what steps. That would require that. And, you know, it was, I remember houses sitting on the market for years in some communities here. And I, and it got pretty bad as it did most of the country, I think, between 08 and 2011 ish. You know all about Equator, huh? With B of A. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Several of them. But yes, I was familiar with the Equator quite well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm thinking back, you know, on, on the title side for me, you know, we, we had to do, use the same kind of tools you were, right? These, these, these yeah. banks kind of, built their own systems and wanted it done a certain way. And if we wanted to help a seller close a transaction, there was only, you had to do it. There was only one way to do it. Do you equator? Yeah. And we had to find out how many loans and liens and deficiency judgments and BPOs. Like you and we could rattle off all these acronyms, but we we quickly had to learn that on the fly. Uh, You know, I seen a big portion at that time, our MLS, our our membership numbers were down significantly for those years. We lost, I think 25% of our membership. So there was a lot of people that didn't, you know, figure out how to then to work that side of the industry. Luckily, we were able to get through it. We're here today. We've had tons of new agents join the industry since, right? Because we've mm-hmm. we've gone on a record long streak of of healthy market, which, you know, no knocking on wood here. But um, boy, there's some value to 
an agent who had to go through that, who had to understand that, you know, I've got to manage my business like a business because it, it really happened so fast. I think, don't you think it's a great thing for, for someone to have gone through that to, to understand? Absolutely. Absolutely. You need to see the the buyer, the seller, and the the equal markets. You know, right now we're in an extreme seller market and many, many communities across the country, they are as well. But um, I think you have to. I think, you know, it kind of made us a better agent. It it made us do our jobs a little differently to the point I think it will, will substantiate us longer. I mean, we had to roll our sleeves up. You know, there was a lot of people losing homes, you know, and there was something about that, actually. I hate to say it. I don't think an agent truly understands the, the stress of a homeowner or a buyer that's actually in the market until you experience it yourself. So to see your, you know, we were keeping people in homes and doing something that, you know, we typically don't, I think we take for granted, which which is kind of cool, I think. Many, many realtors went through that process themselves. They yeah. they got a hard look at life, right? And uh, yeah. maybe they, they come out the other side with a whole different appreciation for the experience. Yes, and, I would agree. And it seems like today, yeah, today that what what is the number one thing people are talking about is how can you create this experience mm-hmm. that uh, sets you apart, and, and yeah. having that knowledge helps. Yeah, it's good. What what year then did you when you left King Thompson? Did you open your brokerage? Were you ready to do it yourself at that time, or did was there another stop before? No, uh, that that conversation in my mind started to happen, and so I, I okay. because I had I had a family at a relatively young age. I didn't start right into college, so I had no college background at all. And so I I went back to school, ended up getting my real estate degree during that transition. Uh, a good friend of mine, which was at the time, was the uh, broker in charge of another very large independent, which some people outside the market references us as the her realtors, but it was actually H E R Realtors, and they're a really big company, a thousand agents roughly things like that. I went over there and I got into a little bit of management over there to kind of figure out what the other big companies were doing to to kind of grow that route. I had a team of agents that kind of went with me. And so we went in that direction while I was in school trying to acquire my broker's license. How long were you there before you said, I I got this, I'm going to open up my own? Yeah. So you're probably speaking with one of the newest real estate brokerages in central Ohio. I've had my doors open now for about eight weeks, maybe 10. Um, nice. So, yeah. I'm as new as you can get with a brand new company. You're the right guy to talk to then because we've got people listening to the show that might be thinking, you know, well, wonder what it takes or what are the things I got to watch out for? Yeah. Um, because it's so fresh for you. Let me ask you that question. You know, what, what sorts of things kind of surprised you? What are some things you would pass along to somebody who says, Hey, I want to open my own brokerage. What would you say? Yeah, I'm big into business planning and uh, I, 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 there was items in there I didn't know that I didn't know yet. Hmm. Getting the systems in place, I think is so far, we've just finally completed them, you know, like online boarding documents and getting all the legal stuff out of the way was probably the biggest thing. I found that we wanted to throw more money at technology. And so that to me, I feel like I haven't even recruited anyone to this company yet. We, I, I left with my original team of basically five agents and myself, they all came over. I basically allowed them and they allowed me to use them as guinea pigs on technologies, software, systems. That would be the biggest thing is the expense is there. You know, I didn't realize how much a corporate account to something like a showing service system or an accounting system, like, you know, try to prepare yourself for the expenses and really the the opportunity when something throws a curveball at you to, to react. That was kind of the biggest thing for me, which I think we finally now have gotten done. I hear from people that open brokerages that it's the recruiting part is definitely 
uh, a lot of work, right? Because yeah. you're trying to, I mean, think about what you're trying to do. You're trying to tell somebody, I might have a better opportunity for you. I, I might yeah. have a situation. I'd love to talk to you about it. Then you got to have yeah. that conversation. I, I know you, Ronnie. I've, you know, we've, we've had, we've shared beers together. I'm guessing if you sit down with somebody, you can convince them that you've got something for them. Am I right? Yeah, I, I do. You know, and that, that was in the very beginning. I think for anyone that's going to start their own company, and and I, I had the pressure of starting a franchise, getting into a franchise. I chose go independent, and there was a process to that. But I feel like both big companies I were with, they were very successful for, for several reasons. I don't want to cheapen my business strategy. I want to keep it a culture. I want people that really wants to help each other out. And I, I know everyone wants that. So I don't think I'm going to go on the quantity version of a business. I do really want quality. And so I, I'm going to be offering certain strategies is right now I have to admit to myself that I'm really a cloud-based brokerage. You know, we don't have all the buildings that's needed. And quite honestly, I don't know if we want that. So I have to then basically sell the value proposition of who I am. I do care. Everyone around you cares. These are the systems that we use and everyone gets a say in our company. Like, all right, what's a better way of doing it? I, you know, this isn't from the top down, it's from the bottom up. And so I think that's the direction we want to go. It might be episode 189 or 190 is Alicia Al Alcantara. I talked to her just a couple of weeks ago. She's in Portland doing something very similar to what you're doing. I, you need to connect with Alicia. <laughs> and, and I know that you've probably talked to a lot of other broker owners of a small boutique, you know, with the, that culture is critical. It's not just a buzzword, but you mean it. Yeah. Um, they're, they're all over in men and you've met a lot of these people. They've had to be a lot of help, right? Yes. They uh, honestly, and, and that, that was actually, I think it took me two years longer than my initial brain date of starting this because you know, I always put my toes at the end of the diving board. I was too scared to jump because I said, what do I don't know? What are the legalities? And I started asking people and a lot of people said, you're never going to swim until you jump. And so I finally had to decide to do it. I jumped I tried to get in front of the selling market so we could get busy while we were growing. Uh, we would stay busy. Just, you know, you got to have money to come in to keep the lights on and the technologies, you know, available to everyone. But that's what I did. I, I did a lot of questioning. I did a lot of interviewing. And, and, and the fact that you mentioned Enman is something that not even Enman, but based on all the conferences across the country, I, I, I didn't start those until almost four years ago. I've been doing this 19 years with the encouragement from Sean. Sean said, Ronnie, I don't know why you're not doing these things. And I said, I don't know if I, there's a value to it at that time. Boy, was that the biggest mistake that I made. If I have to give any advice to a, a new agent listening to this, get involved. I, our conversation, we're friends now. I can, I can rattle off dozens of people across the country that I can lean on when needed of something, you know, with a new technology or a new system. So that is something that is empowering that I can reach out to an agent in LA that's got her own little brokerage and she can say, no, I did it this way and don't do it that way. And this is why. So right. that is invaluable. Is online lead generation a part of your strategy? Um, it was. I'm, I, I, you know, we, I think we in the industry kicked that king quite a bit. Do we kick it? Do we not kick it? I, I, I had some of the big systems from the Commission Zinc to, you know, the KV Core systems down to just, you know, the Zillow's, the Realtor.com's. Uh, you know, those online generation, they're, they're, they're so hard to convert. They're so expensive. You know, I, within our team, we do provide one of those systems, but quite honestly, I have a, such a large data, large database over the years. It's cheaper to keep them, go back in, service your previous clients, and you'll find that you'll get business from that. And I, 
and to answer that, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but yes and no. I think it's cheaper yeah. to keep them, though, honestly. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I completely agree because I'll be meeting an agent one-on-one mm-hmm. thinking about trying to do something different in their business, and they're they're thinking about entering that that arena of buying some online leads and, and working those leads. And I've, I've really become – my mindset now is unless you're part of a team where you've got multiple people involved in the process with – really working the system the way it's been built because they all kind of do the same thing, but they have their own little tweaks. It's not really there for the one-off agent. Would, would you yeah. say that a true statement? Uh, that was absolutely. Because just to follow up alone on the day-to-day, depending on what hat during what hour of the day you're wearing that hat, you know, the follow-up is obviously, we all know it's very important, but that is one of the easiest things to slip through the cracks because you have another client yelling at you from the other end of a phone. So I, I, you need some kind of system to follow up. Back into original question, what what would I advise, you know, some new agents or new brokerages, you know, to get a system in place? You know, your CRM is so important and that it could be anything, right? But something to remind you to do something and automation is a big deal. But 100% agree with you. You need a team to, you know, somebody's got to follow up with them and follow up with them and follow up with them until you can get them to do one of two things. Get you a contract or a restraining order. You want one or two. That's what where we're at. <laughs> I like it admin side of things? Or are you using some sort of tool in the back end, you know, whether it's a dot loop or a sky slope or something? How are you handling all that stuff? Yeah. So we use a couple of them. So we have a, we have an assistant and then we use two systems that I felt that integrated based on what we needed. So we use dot loop, uh, obviously love dot loop. And then we also use another one called broker sumo, which is I think getting okay. rebranded to a new name, not to plug them, but I, I really found what they could provide based on what we needed was an excellent thing. And, you know, our agents get paid, you know, electronically. We don't have to write any checks. They can they can track their own accounting. And there's many of the, those systems that are out there, but that's the one I felt that worked the best for how we needed it to work right now. I want to jump back to Inman for a second. Um, yeah. You're going to be in Vegas? I don't know yet. I, I just, I, I'm on the fence because with this new brokerage and trying to keep my say. feet to the ground, it's one of those, I, I'm thinking, I just got the, 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 the NAR email today that, you know, they're taking registrations for the national in, in November. So I may end up skipping Vegas this year and head, to, uh, you know, to uh, San Fran to NAR this year and then start the conference tour back over next year. Get good solid footing for the brokerage before you start yeah. uh, reaching yeah. out to find new things to kind of tweak. <laughs> yeah. That's all you that's at this thing. moment, right? <laughs> yeah. It's such, exactly. There's so many big ideas, you know, as I'm walking around the, you know, the vendor's floor at every one of these, you're like, oh, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. And I come back with, you know, my, my team now has recognized that the first 10 days of me back from any of these conferences, I'm throwing so much stuff out. I'm like, check this out. Let's sign up for this. Let's do that. And they're like, slow down. Let's perfect what we got. So I've learned <laughs> to slow that down a little. You and I attended a lot of these same events. And so <laughs> a lot of the conversation last couple of years has been, you know, what's happening with these iBuyers, Open Door, OfferPad, Purple Brick, Knock. Now you got KW and Realogy and uh, even Remax saying they're going to do their own thing. Zillow's buying stuff. Two-pronged question. One, is it affecting you in Columbus? Is it something you're seeing in the, in the central Ohio area? And two, are you worried about it or do, do you feel that, that there's a place for that and there's a place for what you've been doing for 20 years. Yeah. You know, we don't really have that here yet. Um, you know, uh, we have KW here. They're, they're, they have a prominent place here, but they don't really have that going on here yet. I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, some people are fearful of that. But listen, 
corporations have been buying homes for years. I mean, there's corporate clients have been doing that, right? Like I remember when agents would have signs in the yard, list with me, a guaranteed seller, I'll buy your home. So on a very small scale, it's it's been there. Um, I, you know, we just need to work the, you know, the scenario, work the process. If that be, if, if for me, for instance, there was a large real estate trust out of California buying a lot of stuff here locally. Instead of avoiding them, I called them and sold them three places. Like, you you got the money, sell it. I, my goal is to get my clients top dollar or the best terms they're looking for. So no, I think we're going to embrace it. We just need to make sure that we keep the real estate agents, keep our industry in the middle of that and not as an appetizer. We're the main dish and let's stay there. Uh, don't run from it. So I, I, I look forward to it. Uh, I know other people that have that in their markets probably could say otherwise, but until I experience the heat, I don't know it's fire, right? Like, so we'll see where it happens. My take is this, I've been saying this for a while now, you know, 20% of the properties of the 5.5 million sold around the country, 20% are sold to investors. Mm -hmm. I think those are the people, right? If I'm an investor, if I'm a, fi a little fix and flip guy, I've got some serious competition all of a sudden, right? Because mm -hmm. those people those investors only bought at fairly steep discounts from a, yeah. a seller who had to sell quickly. And now they've got an option to go to a website and just type in something and boom, be gone. Yeah. So it yeah. seems to me like they're going to be the ones that are going to get, they're going to feel this, we'll call it pain first, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to see when those properties then get reintroduced to the market after purchase by those systems. I, that, yeah. That's like where I'm probably paying most attention. How is that going to get reintroduced? You know, what are these big companies going to do? Are they going to, you know, employ agents, you know, with the companies that, that obviously don't have agents, things like that. I'm curious to see how these things play themselves out. Yeah, and you hear some crazy numbers. There are some people, you know, really smart people in the industry saying in the next uh, five to seven years, it could be pushing 30, 45% of sales are happening through these yeah. these companies. So yeah, and that's where that there's an opportunity for us as in the industry. We we need to get in front of that curve, you know, to make sure that we stay on the uh, the main dish plate, not the appetizer plate, right? So that's just something that we need to as an industry. And and unfortunately, it seems like we're always bouncing off each other in a competitive attitude, which is a great great thing for the the consumer. But we somewhat along the way have to work together, and that's why these conferences, all of them, are so awesome because you get to experience or learn of something that you probably wouldn't other, otherwise. And, and you said it earlier, cheaper to keep them. It, really, if you if you love on that database and if you take care of those people where to the point that if they see an, a, a billboard for OfferPad, they call you and go, yeah. what the hell is OfferPad, right? That's yeah. that's the ultimate goal, right? Yeah. yeah. You, it's okay to have the conversation now. Don't you don't you know don't sway away from it get the right. get the conversation started offer up your services i think the industry is going to a concierge i'm not the only one i, I didn't even i've heard that many times over i think it's a service our services have to increase you know we have to do a better job of increasing that you know there's a reason that google has some fear of facebook's on their soft searches right people would rather get a referral from someone they know through someone they know than just blanket put information on a website and have nine different strangers get spelled out of them so I think we need right. to do a better job of making sure that we are in that conversation, even if it doesn't require a buy or sell conversation. Oh, you need a furnace guy. Oh, you need a, line, a landscape guy or or you need this gal, right? Like staying the point of contact, I think, is where we need to get better at. At any of the Inman stuff, Ronnie, have you ever met Joe Rand? I don't recall. You know, we, we meet so many. The name sounds familiar, yeah. but I don't recall. Well, I'm gonna, I'll throw out a, a, t a tip here. He, he has a book out called uh, How to Be a Great Real Estate Agent. He talks specifically about what you just said. Really? How do you how do you create that relationship that goes well beyond the transaction? 
Mm-hmm. So just throwing that out there for you and for people listening. It's uh, he's out of New York. Once again, one of those guys who's sharing what he did with his brokerage. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's the beautiful part of the business that I, that I found myself in here the last 20 years as well. Yeah. So look, I've had you here the half hour. You got, you got work to do. So I'm going to ask <laughs> you my final question. You've, you've tacked a little bit. I might make you change it up, but yeah. what, what piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started in the business? Okay. Oh, well, I didn't make this quote, but you know, if, what is it? If you fail to plan, your plan will fail. Get a business plan. I see a lot of agents running from brokerages based on money sometimes, but you know, 100% of nothing is still nothing. Make sure you're getting trained. Make sure you're getting involved with the industry. Know what's going on, what's coming down the pipeline. Uh, I'm big on business plans. You got to know how much money you need to make. You need to work that number backwards, right? Your business plan should always have a marketing plan attached to that. And then just work your systems daily. And I'm not reinventing the wheel here. And time block. Make sure you're scheduling time for important tasks that need to be done on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. And then just do it over and then do it over. You'll find that the business starts to happen. You know, some agents on my team say, it's amazing that I'll get phone calls and people say, hey, I'm, I need to list a house. And I, I try to tell them this isn't something that, that I just did last week. I did this 10 years ago and I just stayed in contact. And then when they needed someone or a referral, I was giving that phone call, luckily. So work your plan. Stay consistent. And you know what? Don't let the industry drive you nuts. Stay humble and, and enjoy it. We're not digging ditches. Don't let it drive you nuts. That, that, that might be the pull quote from this episode. I love that. Ronnie, if, uh, if someone wants to reach out to you, uh, has some questions or wants yeah. to want to talk to you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Absolutely. You can reach me in many ways. Obviously, uh, my email address is ronnie.woodrow at realestar.com. My phone number is 614-738-4971. That is my cell phone. I encourage, if I can help someone, it's I've been extended to hand. I have no problem with extending mine. Like I say, I, I can tell you the A's and B's and C's right now of starting a brokerage. I haven't gotten to the M's and or O's yet, so I know the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. That's awesome. Ronnie, I... I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for the time today. I know it's right. I got you right in the middle of your work day. Uh, and I can't wait to see the success of Real Estar. And the next time we see, I see you in person, we'll have a nice conversation about uh, some of those success stories. All right. Absolutely. Bill. I appreciate your time today, buddy.